going to go ahead and um, get started so that we have time. Also, just want to remind you, if during our session you have questions and you just want to write something down, you can either slip it to us or, as um, Kim said, we can text it to the church. But um, I need three ladies. Do we have three? And if the three of you would just pick a towel, stand on this side of the table. And, um, you know, we talked about the fact that uh, there is a, the men have a will and women have a way. And sometimes we're like, what does that mean? Really? Is that really a thing? And then when I began to think through the ways of a woman, just when you don't think that that would be an accurate thing to say, have you ever tried to um, put dishes in your wife's dishwasher and she comes back behind you and she rearranges how you put the dishes in? Or maybe the way that you vacuum the rug or the way that you make the bed? Well, we're going to see if we can, how many ways we can find that women will fold a towel. So ladies, just go ahead, fold a towel exactly the way you'd fold it at home. Look at that. Look at that. Every single time. Every, and it's such, we take such a chance. I'm, I'm waiting for that moment when I have three women and they're all going to do it the same way. But we have, so let's start at the beginning. How did you fold your towel? <laughs> and, and is there anything to do with that? Now, how do we put it in the closet? You just stack. Okay, so you don't care how, you don't have a way that you stack them, but you do have a way that... Oh, okay. So there is a way, to see, there is a way that you like them put in the closet. All right, Lacey. Why do you do that? Why does that part have to show? Uh huh. Uh huh. And and it has like a neater look to your closet when they're sure. Yeah. Well, let's number three in your name, Amy. So Amy, you show us yours. So the tag goes inside. Okay. And yours, though, comes out completely different because Lacey's we can pull out and we can actually hang on the towel rack. And so yours is more, which way do you have it go in your closet then? Does it matter? Okay, so if they, yeah. So if they even get to the closet, then we're doing good. All right. Well, thank you, ladies. And let me ask you, how did you learn? Who taught you how to do that? Your mom? Okay. 
to, to fit you. What about you, Lacey? Your mom? Well, thank you, ladies. We appreciate that. So if you wonder if your wife has a way, you're all going to go home and ask her to fold the towel, right? So I don't know if you ever heard the story about the young married couple, and they were going to do this, you know, together thing. They were trying to find this romantic thing to do together, and the wife said, you know what I'd love to do? I would really love to be able to cook together in the kitchen, and he was like, oh, okay, I can do that. I love to cook, and so they were getting ready to cook in the kitchen, and and they were going to do a roast. She had just bought a roast, and so, you know, they're getting the roast all put together, and he goes ahead and puts the roast in the pan, and she's like, you can't do it that way. And he said, what do you mean? She said, well, there's a way you, you put the roast. You get the roast prepared for the pan. He said, what are you talking about? And she takes the roast out, and she cuts off, you know, a good portion of the end of the roast. And he's like, why did you do that? He said, I just put like all the garlic in there and got the whole thing ready. And she said, that is just the way that you put the roast. That's the size the roast has to be for the oven. And he said, well, taking, you know, cutting the end off, does it make it more moist? Does it make it taste better? She goes, I don't know. I just know that that's what you're supposed to do with the roast before you put it in the oven. And he goes, well, I want to know what that does for a roast. And he leaves the room. So she quit calls her mom. Mom. Why do we cut the end of the roast off? And the mom says, you know what? I'm going to get right back to you. I'm going to call grandma. So she calls her mom, and she says, mom, why again is it that we cut the end of the roast off? And the mom, grandma says, well, it's because I had this little itty-bitty pan when I got married, and I had to cut it off so that the roast would fit in the pan. So oftentimes, ladies, our ways are not our own. <laughs> we have to know where we've learned them from. But we all have our own way. I, uh, I've been tempted to do like, uh, to have men come up and see how they roll a burrito or something. <laughs> like no, no, we won't do that. But, um, you know, we've just seen this, the will of a man, the way of a woman emerge in so many different ways. Well, uh, talking about raising children, um, before we ever had any children, we were youth pastors at a church in upstate New York. And uh, one of the things that we began to notice is that there were certain young people, young men, young women, uh, that we were impressed with. And we would say, wow, we want to pay attention to their parents, what they're doing. Uh, how they're doing it. We want to ask questions of them. So really, before we ever became parents, uh, we were already students of parents. Uh, we were asking people questions, watching how they did what they did uh, to raise them. It's, it's an awe-inspiring responsibility to raise a child in today's world, uh, especially in today's world that is so full of technology. Uh, you know, it used to be, you read the book of Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, would say to his son, uh, avoid the way of the adulteress. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? That means when you go to the market, there's a road that is inhabited by adulteresses. It's sort of the, the red light district. Don't go that way when you go to the market for several reasons. Now we live in a world where it's piped in to our worlds because of smartphones. Uh, you know, I read, uh, actually, very recently, um, 
about a, uh, a, a boy playing video games. And, uh, you know, gamers would go on and they would do game speak. And somebody said, hey, you know, uh, it's been great playing this game with you, supposedly another kid their age. And they said, you know, I know you don't have the system that you wish you had. I want to send you some money to help you with it. What's your address? What's your address? And sure enough, as soon as the parents found that up, they looked the address up, and it was a sex offender's home. That that quickly got into the world of their, I think, like 12-year-old. So, so uh, you know, you talk about through many dangers, toils, and snares, uh, our world has become a technological minefield. Mm -hmm. um, not only that, but now we're learning through studies that are done on millennials. One, there's an institute at Harvard, there are others that have done this, that are showing an incredible increase in anxiety issues among millennials, uh, numerous ones. And th those statistics, many are connecting them to an overuse of social media. And that the less they use social media, uh, the, the more healthy they are psychologically. I had a talk with my class just the other day, one of them, about this. Uh, because I'd read an article in the Atlantic Journal where they talk with young people. One of them said, uh, most of them said that they sleep with their smartphone. Uh, that it's the last thing they look at before they go to sleep, first thing they look at when they wake up in the morning. One young lady, 14-year-old, said, I like my smartphone more than people. I like my smartphone more than people. Uh, a report that came out this week uh, actually said that now we're beginning to, to hear from um, uh, Generation Z, this youngest generation now that's just started college, that they're getting bored online because there's not enough to look at that's interesting to them online. Uh, and some that are saying, now I go to all these different apps, but there's nothing good on there today. So they're getting bored uh, with all that abundance of things to look at. So it's created a new environment for parenting. Uh, how do we watch over them? I asked these students just a couple of days ago. I said, um, what do you think Southeastern would be like if, all, if none of the students had smartphones and they all had flip phones? And they said, you know, Dr. Crosby, we think it might be good if that happened. I said, really? They said, it's probably not going to happen, but it might be good. I said, well, how would it be different? Uh, one of them said, we would be outside a lot more. Another one said, you know, I don't think we know how to have real conversations. That wasn't me saying that. That was one of them saying it in front of their peers. So we're living at a very challenging time on a number of different levels where we, we have uh, engaged in powerful tools that now even our government's trying to figure out what do we do with it, uh, how do we utilize it, um, that, that, has, that has powers of influence that we probably have underestimated. And on one hand, it has power for a lot of good. You know, you can use uh, the Internet and create a nonprofit to serve people in need and to dig wells all over Africa. Or you could use it to, to get in the life of a teenager and be abusive. Um, so so this, is, this is a sobering world that we're in now when it comes to raising children. And how do we do that? I mean, we look at these tender lives. You know, in August, we'll have a new granddaughter born. Um, and I still remember when Ricky was born a little less than two years ago. 
And, you know, I had all these people tell me, wait till you become a granddad, wait till you become a granddad. And one of them said, let me tell you, he said, to describe it, he said, there's a part of your heart that exists that you don't even know that's there. He said, you're about to discover it. And uh, then, of course, you always hear these things about people say, the great part of grandparenting is you get to have fun with them and then you send them home. You know, you get to be the good cop. You don't have to be the bad cop, you know. Uh, you can you can bless them, enjoy being with them, let the parents discipline them, you know, all those kind of things that you hear. But nonetheless, how many of you men in this room would say that life was full of challenging temptations as you grew up as a young man, right? Add to it all the technology that's in our world today. I feel, I feel for students, for young men and young women, that are having to grow up in today's uh, world. On one hand, incredible opportunities, but challenging responsibilities uh, that many times people don't know how to navigate. So with Pamela and me, when we became parents, uh, looking for examples, one of the verses, I mean, what's probably one of the best-known verses on parenting, Proverbs 22.6, if you could put that up on the screen. Proverbs 22.6, uh, train up a child should be the next slide, I believe. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, you've, we've heard this verse. Train up a child in the way he should go when he's old and not depart from it. Well, sort of the way we interpreted that verse, you know, years before, was if you teach them the right things, then maybe before they die, they'll get it right. You know, before they depart, they'll... They'll come back, even if they rebel, you know, they're going to come back uh, to God. And we look at that, so it sort of creates that hope. Well, have you ever met a good, good child that had a parent that wasn't so good? Have you ever met a rebellious child that had really good parents? Yeah. You know, you'd love to say that this is like a vending machine, that if you do all these things, automatically your child's going to have no issues. But it's, but it's not true because, because every child is unique, unique set of circumstances, unique set of challenges, unique set of opportunities. And it's sort of like when you have a child, it is sort of like a box of chocolates. You know, you don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> you know, you're praying. Um, you know, with uh, our first one, Kristen, uh, you know, we, and we believe in names, like being prayerful and, uh, about the name that you give your child. We believe in that. Um, so Kristen, her name is Christ Spirit. She's very mild-mannered, you know, calm and all that. And then we had Kara Joy. You know, and Kara's like really a big, big personality, sort of fills up a room. Um, and she was going to, as often the second-born does, she was going to distinguish herself from her older sister. You know, she was not going to be just like her older sister, and that's often true with the, with the second one. So when we looked at this verse, one of the things that really helped us was to, to consider the, the language that this came out of, the, the Hebrew words that it came out of. So the word train is so interesting. There are two meanings, two, two components to the Hebrew of the word train. One is so interesting to us, is similar to the idea of taming a wild stallion. Taming a wild stallion. Does parenting ever feel like that? Taming a wild stallion. You know, it's like they're 
they're in the gates and they're like busting to go into life and do everything on their own and uh, taming a wild stallion. So that a lot of people can identify with. It's like, yeah, I've got one of those wild stallions. Um, but then there's the flip side of it. Another meaning of that word was uh, was the idea of a midwife, a Hebrew midwife, that when a baby was born, the midwife, of course, is assisting with the birth. The midwife would take like a jam or a fruit paste, put it on her finger, and put it in the palate of the baby's mouth to create a nursing urge to help the baby nurse. So we're like, what? Those are so different. You know, taming a wild stallion is like training, and creating uh, the desire to feed is a, a part of training. All right, training, you got to train a wild stallion. Training, you're training a little baby to feed. So, so the com, com, uh, combination of those two is this, that we tame a wild stallion by creating a taste for godliness. We tame the wild stallion by creating a taste for godliness. And what does that mean? You tame the wild stallion by creating a desire for a relationship with God. Um, you know, Josh McDowell, who's taught a lot on parenting and, and family, he says rules without relationship equals rebellion. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. Now, some parents would just say it's all about relationship. I'm going to be my child's best friend. And you, you, know, you sometimes hear parents negotiating with their children over everything. Oh, honey, that's not nice. Don't do that. And they're doing something terrible. Uh, and they're not, not using their influence. But then there's the other side of it, just rules, you know, just like the military sergeant, uh, like uh, The Great Santini, which was a, a movie and a book that uh, Pat Conroy wrote about this dad who was like a military sergeant in the way he raised his kids. And it led to a lot of hurt, abuse, and rebellion. But rules with relationship can equal something beautiful. Uh, so training, you know, training the wild stallion by creating a desire for relationship with God. One of the best ways to do that is bringing our children into our experience with God. Not just preaching it at them, but helping them see the joy and the beauty and the wonder of it. You know, the Lord dealt with me a while back because I had a testimony. I became a Christian when I was 16 years old, and a group of students at Myrtle Beach witnessed to me. And I gave my heart to Christ the, the week that I turned 16. And, uh, and it totally changed the trajectory of my life. I've told that story to youth groups, churches, all of that. And it hit me a number of years ago, you haven't told that to your children enough. You've assumed that because they live in this house that they know that. You need to impress upon them what God has done for you regularly, not preaching at them. And it's really easy for we preachers to preach at our kids, um, but impressing it upon them, sharing the joy, the overflow of it. So train up a child. Now, a child, the word here for child means a child of any age. It's a child of any age. Uh, you know, when we look at uh, God and him being Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and we say, how do we understand that? There are people that try to describe that as like an egg, you know, or water, gas, solid, you know, liquid. But 
there's also the dynamic of roles. You know, I'm, I'm uh, one person, but to my parents, I'm a son. To my wife, I'm a husband. To my children, I'm a father. Uh, so there those dimensions. Now, that doesn't even accurately describe the Trinity. It's far more wondrous and transcendent. But I'm still, in some ways, a child. I'm a child of God. And you know how it is, uh, men that are in the room, you know, you become in this man, and then you get around your parents, you feel like that little boy again. Get around your dad, get around your mom, still feel, hey, mama, hey, daddy, you know, and still feel like a little boy again, and, you know, and you can behave like that. You get around your siblings, and you go back into those modes. There's still a part of us that, that's a child, is a child of God. And there's still a big part of you and me, no matter how big and grown up we get, still needs to fall at the feet of God, say, you're my father. I'm your son. Uh, you're my you're my father. I'm your your daughter, and uh, worship him with that 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 joy. So so we're a child. Train up a child. I would love to tell you that once our children reached 21 years of age, there was no more training. No more training. But the truth is, just like people that you lead to Christ and they become a spiritual son or daughter, their training through you will continue as long as you love them and you care for them. Now, responsibility for your own decisions, that does change. There's an age of accountability. But your love and your example, that continues training. And if you have a child and you're like, man, Dr. Crosby, I just feel like right now they ought to, they ought to have their act together better than they do. And they don't. And I'm, I'm bugged. I'm frustrated about that. I would say to you, don't give up. God's still working. He's using you. And they're watching you more than you know. You might even be one here who said, my child's in rebellion. And I would say to you, at least they have something to rebel against. Because there's some children, their parents are so disinvolved or they're gone, they don't even have anything to rebel against. They don't have a central beam of truth to say, I'm, well, I'm going this way. Because you know what? The whole while you're going this way, you know you're going away from something. There's God's way, and I'm going the other way, but I know there's God's way. So in your mind, it's always there. But when people don't care for you, and they don't challenge you, and they don't confront you, then you're really you're like you're like an orphan, in many ways. So train up a child in the way. Now this is one of the most beautiful ones, because it relates to the verse. The word used here is the same word used for that verse I talked about earlier in Proverbs. There are three ways that are excellent. Four that are beyond understanding. The way of an eagle in the sky, ship on the sea, the way of a snake on a rock, and you know. Solomon was saying, that's pretty cool, how a ship can stay afloat in the ocean, how a snake can just writhe and move across a rock, how an eagle in turbulence can just put his wings out and soar on the turbulence, and the way of a man with a maiden, that they're together, that they're united. There's something about the way of a man with a maiden. Our world is full of stories. If you go to Netflix and type in romance, oh, my gosh. If you go to iTunes and type in love, forget it. The way of a woman. There's so many songs about the way of a woman. Ooh, baby, I love your way. Going to stay with you night and day, you know. Um, don't go changing. I love you just the way you are. Um, L is for the way you look at me. Um, you know, just on and on. She's got a way about her, you know, all these beautiful songs about the, the way of a woman, but the way here, 
when I first heard it as a parent, I thought, well, the way he should go, I'll tell you the way he should go. That's my way. My way or the highway, you know. I'm, and it's the, it's the Lord's way. You got to do this, do this, stop doing that, start doing this, on and on and on. You got to walk the line, you know. But what this really means is not just the way you think they should go, but it's more about the way God has designed them to go. So this relates to the gifts and graces that God has put inside of them. You see, I love writing books. My son tells me, Dad, I don't even like, especially like reading books. He's a photographer. He sees images and they speak volumes. You know, a picture will speak a thousand what? Words. So he see, he see everything in life. He frames it. Oh, man, look at this. And he sees it in ways that I don't. So my natural sense when Robbie was younger is, oh, he's got, you know, he's got to learn this, do this, do this, do that. And learning more about the way God has designed your child, understanding them, getting to know them. And then the last part is this. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. I used to think that that's at their dying bed. At least by the time they die, they're going to come back to God and get right with God. But do you know what this verse means? It literally, it speaks of a man when he's old enough to grow hair on his face. Like puberty. When he's old enough to grow hair on his face, he'll not depart from it. So in other words, it's more hopeful than we even imagine. That the influence of our parenting and our love with our children is powerful, is gracious, is wonderful. And it's an opportunity that we have to love and to pour into our kids. So before we uh, wrap up and turn it back over to Tim, I'd, I'd be very curious, Pamela and I would be, if there are any questions related to parenting or raising kids or anything that you're walking through or dealing with uh, that, that you wanted to ask related to that. Give you an opportunity. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. All right. As a parent, how do we break our bad habits like arguing in front of our kids? Uh, Pamela, you want to take that one or you want me to? How do we break habits like arguing in front of our kids as parents? We, um, I think it's knowing that we have boundaries and that we agree on what those boundaries are going to be as parents. Um, I, I, of course, don't necessarily believe it's bad to disagree or argue in front of the kids. Um, it has a lot to do with volume. It has a lot to do with how, um, how, what's the word I want? Like, yeah, how fair you fight, how aggressive you might be getting. Um, if it's a disagreement, they need to learn how to disagree in life. They're going to be disagreeing all over, you know, with their friends, at work. They need to learn how to be respectful in their disagreements, and that's where boundaries come in. Um, when, if we're talking about a heated argument, um, those are moments where um, I believe knowing that your kids are your audience will we need to be aware and conscious of that um, for I and this is again a personal I can't give you like um, 
I don't know that there's any biblical reference for how we should argue other than you don't end the day without bringing closure and, and, and coming back together. And I really believe that's the most Im yeah. important. Um, but boundary lines are that it doesn't get physical. Yes. Boundary lines are that we are careful the words that we choose, um, that we don't call each other names, that we stick to the topic and then we don't go down rabbit trails. Um, there are a lot of boundaries that are just healthy, even for you as a couple, let alone if you know your children are watching. One of the words that we value a lot is the word honor, yes. to honor one another. Uh, one of my heroes in this whole realm of relationships in the home, uh, he, uh, he talked about how he had told his son one day, his 14-year-old son, when you get home tomorrow, you empty the trash in the kitchen. I told you to do it yesterday. You didn't do it. Make sure you do it today. Uh, true story, he got home. He walked in the house, and the garbage is overflowing. He looks over at the television. There's his son with his best buddy playing video games. Mm -hmm. So he was furious. And this guy's a you know, pastor and leader, and he went over to his son. And he said, hey, he said, you didn't empty that trash. He said, Dad, I'll get to it later. We're playing. He went over, and he flicked him on the head. He said, you get that now. And just like, you know, knocked him right on the head like a dad maybe would do. And he went over and his son kind of jumped, you know, couldn't believe that he did that. He said, you just get up and get that done. And Gary stormed out of the room. When he was walking down the room, Gary said, I could feel somebody behind me. And he said, I turned around. And it was my son walking down the hall. And he said, I turned and said, what is it? He said, Dad, I can't believe you did that. And he said, tears are pouring out of his eyes. He said, I can't believe you. I can't believe you, you did that in front of my friend. And Gary said, right in that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, words that I did not want to hear. You were wrong. And he's thinking, oh, no. <laughs> what do I do? You know, because you're the dad. Got to be strong in that moment. And he said, I knew I had to apologize. So he says, son, he said, he said, I'm really sorry. He said, now, you should take that trash out. You need to go do it. But I should not have embarrassed you in front of your friend. I'm sorry. I'll tell you what, if I do that again, I'll give you a dollar. I'll give you a dollar every time I do it. His son, weeks later, said he wanted to say, well, just keep on, Dad, you know. And he said, I'll give you a dollar, but I will, I will not do that again. And so the next morning, Gary's up having his devotions, and he's praying, and he's thinking back about that as a dad, what had happened. And he said, I felt like I, felt like I had this question that hit me, and it really gnawed on me. Is it enough to simply not dishonor my son? Like, is it enough for me just to say, I don't dishonor Pam? No, he said, I need to learn how to honor my son. You know, we're supposed to honor everyone. So he said, he said, I really got going on this question. What can I do to honor my 14-year-old son? And he's trying to think, well, you know, I take him to a game. Do I, you know, buy him something? What do I do to honor his son? He said, no, it needs to, doesn't need to be about money. It needs to be about my spirit towards him. So he said, I developed this thing. So the next day, when he saw his son, or later that morning when he saw his son, he walked in the room and there he was. He said, oh, it's you. You're my son. I get to be your dad, man. How blessed am I to have you for my son? And he said his son just about fell over when his dad did that, but he started doing it and whenever he would see him. And then later, Gary liked how that felt. So he walked in the kitchen. His wife was there. He's like, oh, it's you. You're my wife. You're beautiful. I get to be your husband. How blessed am I? And so this became a part of their home, uh, of honoring one. So go ahead. Somebody's next to you. Just turn to your spouse. Say, oh, it's you. Go ahead. 
it's you. Come on, it's you, it's you. We can do this with family of God. You're my brother, you're my sister in Christ, you know, all of that. Honoring one another. Learning how to honor each other becomes a, a huge, huge part uh, of that whole dynamic. Two more. Go for it. At what age did you recognize your children's spiritual giftings, and did you ever get it wrong? So we were pretty attentive to this, um, very, very young. Um, and we could start to notice, you can notice your kids pretty quickly, uh, and especially when you start having the second one and the third one, and you start to see these traits appear. So I would say somewhere around the ages of like four, um, right before they're getting ready to start school, um, they're either really, you know, getting into music and they have their imaginary microphone or they're coloring on your walls and you get upset, but there's like this little artist in there. Being attentive to some of those things very early is so important in our child's life. And what we often would do um, as a part of that is for their birthdays and especially for Christmas, once we began to see something repeated in our kids' lives, the different traits of creativeness or um, uh, writing, um, a skill that they started to show, we would buy them a gift that would align itself to that, to that skill. And in that way, we felt as parents, we were able to say, we recognize this in you, and we want to see it blossom. Now, does it change? Yeah, a lot of times it will change. They'll just like us, <laughs> they'll get bored with something for a while and go into something else. But each time we would try and recognize that and give them a gift that would, you know, just show value to that skill that they were showing. Yeah, and the only thing I would add to that is then to also not just affirm the gift, but affirm the courage that, yes. they, that they exercise in using that gift. Yeah. Uh, sort of like the bowl move, even if it's something sports related. And they're in a game, and they take some little extra bold move, and you have to, man, that was bold. That was, well, I didn't get the point, Dad. Yeah, but you, you were courageous in attempting it uh, to affirm those characteristics. One example, real quick, um, our daughter, our youngest, um, in her senior year of high school, she said to me one day, you know, Mom, I think I want to bake. Like, I want to be a baker. And I'm like, oh, that's cute. That's sweet. You know, and I'm thinking, you know, okay, what are we going to get her for Christmas, you know? little that Susie homemaker baker thing um, what are we gonna do and she started to use my kitchen for her baking experiments and trying to learn how to make the right kind of cupcakes and at first and she's she was a very messy baker um, when she started and so she had made these cupcakes they were terrible they tasted terrible they were really dry and I watched her it was very interesting because all of a sudden she was like I'm going to learn how to make this right. And I thought, okay, we got a little perseverance here, you know, a little, little determination. And every day she'd come home from school, and she kept experimenting on these cupcakes. Her senior year of high school, she started to make cupcakes. You know, cupcakes then were getting really trendy. And so then she started to place, people were placing orders for graduation parties and things like that. In just a little while, we're going to do a giveaway on, um, on Instagram. But if you get a chance, check her out, Nook Bakery, 
on Instagram. She just graduated from Southeastern and see what's happened to her little determination on getting it right. And it's amazing to watch how when you place value on your child's skill and talent, and if it messes up your house, <laughs> if it messes up your garage, dads, you know, it's for a season because they're going to be gone. And you want to be able to look back and hear them say, but mom and dad really, like, they were my cheerleaders. They let me kill their house while yes. I was experimenting. And again, with that, affirm the talent, but also affirm the trait, the perseverance, mm -hmm. because you and I know. You can tell which one, which part we play. In well, but, but <laughs> e even if their first dream doesn't pan out, mm. if they have the perseverance to stay yes. at it, they're going to get in the place they need yes. to be. Yeah, we struggle as with prayer as a family. Do you have any suggestions for tips for improving it? Can I step into this yeah. one real quick? Because when we look at the scripture, train up a child in the way you should go. Okay, so you heard train up means you take that wild stallion spirit and you put a taste for God and godliness in their life. And the, sometimes our first question is how? How do we do that? And if you're like us, you had these variety, you might have these variety of ages in your home and you're trying to figure out how you're going to keep everybody's attention. Early on in, our in the life of our family, we made a decision because our life was really busy. Many of you work Monday through Friday and you're involved in church on weekends. We had a neighbor we were trying to get to go to church with us and he said, uh, if I have to be as busy as you, if that's what church looks like, I'm not so sure I want to go. We were so busy. The church calendar was crazy. And so we decided we were going to shut down one night of the week. And even for us, we could do it because of being senior pastors. We put on the Monday night of every week, family night, and we encouraged the whole church to have a family night. Our singles got together. They got together. Other families invited them in. But family night once a week meant that that night at dinner, we usually had a theme. So let's just say for one example, one night, the um, whole night was going to be about um, Jesus walking on the water. And so immediately we're talking about fishermen. We had fish for dinner. Um, that was usually my part. And usually the girls would help me and we would do some type of a fish thing for dinner. And then... He was in charge of the discipleship time, you know, the Bible story that was acted out. We would get them involved, and then we would end the evening with a, just a simple prayer together. I'm telling you, it was such a simple type of night, and it didn't take money, a lot of extra money. We still had to eat dinner. Instead of turning on the TV, we let them make our movie. And so the kids, you know, and what was funny was the same ones. Like, Christy was always Jesus. Robbie was always the devil. And so that kind of <laughs> tells you a lot about our kids. But they would be like, you know, and Kara was always going to be the one in the middle. So I still remember the one night where Christy's Jesus walking across the water. And Kara's in a chair, and her dad picks it up because that's now the boat. That's the big boat that the disciples are in. And the boat's rocking on the water. And Kara's like, whoo, you know, and she gets her whole personality in it. 
And so it gives them all a part to play. And it makes for a beautiful evening. And when you close the night in prayer, it is just everybody's in it together. And sometimes it's difficult to do that every night or every day, but having that one night a week. And we did yeah. that for over 20 years. We did it, and, and partly we learned from, uh, from other people just seeing how they were doing this. And it was such a big part of their lives. But now, the last couple of years, when we are together as a family, Every now and then, the kids will love to bring out old old uh, home movies yeah. and videos of doing that years ago. So the deal, now some men are sitting here and you're thinking, all right, great. So i got to preach a sermon and i got to prepare a sermon. And I've, No, no. You get them to act the sermon out. You know, you, you have a Bible story and you read it, they say it. You read another line, they say it. And, and can we do it again, Dad? Can we do it again? And it impresses the Bible on them. Uh, in a lot of ways today, we don't have as many Sunday school classes and all that to learn about those Bible characters. This is a simple and fun way. Then when the oldest two kids got a little older and those kind of things were a little more juvenile, we began to switch it up a little bit. There'd be times Pamela would do something with the younger ones and I would do something a little different with the older ones. So so it's uh, this has been a real staple in our home. And when we go away on vacation together, like we were talking before and we all get together, we'll usually have one night where we kind of resurrect family night. We'll either talk about our, their favorite moments or we will have a whole group discussion on a, on a theme because it's still, you're just growing it as they grow. Yeah, that reminds me, let me just interject real quick before you give that away. Um, one of the books over there, The One Jesus Loves, there's a chapter called The Power of Ask, A-S-K. Ask, seek, and knock. And when Kara was about 12 years old, we were on vacation. And so we were going to have a little Bible study for a few minutes by the ocean, you know, as many mornings as we could. And uh, so I said, you know, we're going to read through the Sermon on the Mount over this next, you know, week or so. So I, it hit me. I thought, Kara and Kristen are 12 and 14. Why don't I see if maybe one of them would like to do one of the mornings? Just to talk about a scripture or something that it meant to them. Let it, give them a few days' notice to get ready. And so Kara did. Uh, she had the verse, ask and you'll receive, seek, you'll find, knock, and the door will be open. So I still remember she got ready to do this. We're sitting by the ocean with the family. She reads it. And she said, and you know, when I read this, I had some thoughts. And I'm thinking, this is going to be cute. I preached on this over the years. I've read commentaries on it. We'll see what cute little insight she has. And she said, you know what, as I read it, I thought when you ask, you could do that when you're sitting in a chair. But to seek, you've got to get up and move around. And to knock, you've got to put your body into it. And I thought, that's pretty good. <laughs> I never thought of that, you know. So it is really amazing mm -hmm. what we can even learn from the simple insights that God brings, you know, out of our children in, in those, those segments. Um, you know, I remember one time when Kristen was about five, we're driving home from church, busy day, youth pastor, doing a lot, hadn't seen her, and it's about 10 p.m., I'm tired out. All I can think of is uh, going by McDonald's, getting something to eat, and watching TV when I get home to chill out. And Kristen's sitting there, she hadn't seen me all day. So we're driving on East Avenue. Pamela's got Kara, she's the little one, in the other car. And so Kristen goes, so Dad, what did you do today? And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't really feel like talking right now. You know, I'm thinking that, but I think here's my daughter asking me what I did today. The thought crossed my mind. 
I wonder what she thinks I do. So I had to ask her. I said, Kristen, I said, what does dad do? And she like looked ahead and kind of scowled a little bit. She said, you, you sing, which I used to do quite a bit of singing. So you sing and you teach kids how to love Jesus. She said it just like that. Now, I'd been to seminars where you have to write your mission statement down for life, you know, and you, and you can never get it quite the way you want it. When she said you teach kids how to love Jesus, I thought, man, that's what I want to do. And in a lot of ways, as parents, that's exactly what we're wanting to do, is to teach those little lives how to live a life mm -hmm. and to love Jesus at the center of it uh, and what they do. So we want to wrap up with a giveaway. And I want to encourage you to not only do this for the giveaway, but um, on our Instagram, which Kara is our assistant on, you'll see her in there, um, we have certain days that we uh, focus on marriage. We have certain days that we give out ideas for family night. And so on the Instagram, there's usually each day there's going to be something that you can either read and glean from or are active um, vaders for you within your own marriage and your family. Um, our Instagram is teaming underscore life. And what we're going to do is the first one that likes the first picture that you'll see on there, it is the one that was posted this week. And follow us. So you want to like that and then follow us. You get this book. And we'll see if we get any. So it's teaming underscore life. if you should have seen them when they come in I don't know if they're yeah has anyone tried it has anyone put it in okay a couple of you guys okay now I'm starting to see them pop up so the first one I see is Lacey <laughs> Are you sure? Aww. So we have Shaza. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I hope you um, give us a couple comments also on on the Instagram. We'd appreciate it. Yeah, just before uh, Pastor Tim comes back, why don't we pray for our children? Let's do that. Let's just pray for them. Lord, we all in a day like today, as we talk about things like honor and learning how to even honor our children. We know your word says for our children to honor their father and mother. And all of us, I'm sure we think of times where we, uh, we said or did things in a way that really wasn't honoring. So, Lord, we come to you today and we say we need you to help us to live and to work and to serve and to parent in a way that reflects you more fully. Would you grant us grace and help uh, to walk that line between truth and grace. And we lift up these young men and women, uh, these boys and girls that you've given to us, sons and daughters. And we pray that as they are our sons and daughters, that we every day will remember that they're really yours as well. And that you would raise them up to walk with you, to know Jesus, to grow in love with you. 
Help our love for you to be so strong that it's something that becomes enticing to them to want to know the joy and the peace and the purpose that we find from walking with you every day. And we pray that you'd help us to pass that on to them, to impress them with that, and to see your glory fill their lives and your purposes lived out through their lives. Bless, say, every dad, every mom here, strengthen them, speak to them. And for the one who's deeply concerned about their child right now, for whatever reason it is, would you renew their hope? Would you refresh them even in these moments and give them a word from your word, uh, the word that says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will hold you up in my righteous right hand. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.